Welcome to Mark My Words, a podcast that not only aims to inspire and teach the listener about entrepreneurship, it also aims to give my guests an opportunity to talk about their unique journey in entrepreneurship and life. So join me and my guests as we meet at the crossroads on Mark My Words. Today on Mark My Words, I have a guest who defines their path to entrepreneurship so poetically, and they basically, like, really, after just reading this one line in their bio, I almost feel like they should have been like a poet or a writer instead of an entrepreneur, but I'm sure he'll present a lot of arguments to the contrary. But this line that Chris Lalamia left corporate, the corporate zoo and ventured into the entrepreneurial wild to start his business, the trusted toolbox, home repair, and projects. I just thought that was the most poetic way to put that. And it's actually, while I'm talking about it, it's also the theme of his book, From the Zoo to the Wild, that he published last year, Your Guide to Entrepreneurial Freedom and Wealth. And I just think that is the most brilliant way to put that. And in addition, he's also the president of the Home Service Institute. And I should even note something fun. When I talk to a lot of my guests before I do an episode with them, I'll always say something about risk management. And I'll say, you know, maybe you were in risk management and then you transition into entrepreneurship. Well, guess what? That is exactly what Chris did. So that's, I don't know if I can use that line anymore or not. Frankly, I don't really know anything about risk management, but I'm like, I don't know anybody who does until now. So with all that being said, it's Chris Lalamia who is here today on Mark My Words. How are you doing today, Chris? Well, thank you, Mark, uh, for that great intro that uh, you write. Uh, I am not a poet uh, and I'm not known for being a good uh, novelist nor writer, but I did make my way through the book. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be on and I appreciate that introduction. Oh, no problem. Hey, I meditate. Like, if if there's one thing that is a little bit scripted about this show, I'll meditate for, like, five or ten minutes and go through and, like, okay, what's a really cool way to introduce this guest? And sometimes I can't quite pin it down, but today I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is gold. And I love how you put the whole uh, corporate zoo, entrepreneurial, you know, in the wild. And it's so true. I read that, I'm like, that is 100% true. And then some, and we can certainly get into that and uh, your perspective on that a little bit more 
now or later. It's up to you. <laughs> no, I, I'd be happy to jump into it. Uh, I, I felt the same way. And you know, I started out in the book uh, and I, I started out at the Atlanta Zoo, taking my kids there at the time. And I looked at the gorilla at the zoo it was Willie B. He was a very famous animal and, and uh, uh, a person at the uh, uh, actually the gorilla at the zoo, right? He was a, a member of the zoo, if you will. And I sat there looking at him, he's sitting in these concrete walls with a little viewing chamber and a tire and a TV rolling. And he just sat there and we looked at him and I kept thinking to myself, wow, man, you're the king of the jungle. This is all you're doing is sitting here eating bananas and four walls and having people look at you. And I started strolling away and started thinking more and more about my own life and what I was doing. And uh, from the outward looking in, uh, I looked very successful. I had I was a senior vice president at a super regional bank in the Southeast. I had 400 people working for me. I uh, achieved a, a great level of success at an early age. And at, by all rights, I was successful. And But I was not fulfilled. And that was the problem I was following was I felt like I was only using half my brain. And I wasn't really fully tapping into all of my potential. Uh, for what I felt like uh, was success. And my definition of success was wildly different, uh, to keep down that phrase, uh, sitting in the zoo and being fed the bananas and being told how great I was as people were watching me. My definition of success was to have those trappings and the country club lifestyle and the car and, uh, and to go in there and only use half my brain. But, uh, but I used that half so effectively. And, you know, there's studies out there that say we only use 10% of our brain anyway. So I guess I was only using 5% if you take that to, to heart. So I felt like I had to make a move. And uh, that's where it started was I, I had the itch. I've always wanted to run my own business. And I said, by God, I'm going to go do it. And, you know, I think a lot of people looking at like, you know, let's say they visit you on LinkedIn. I mean, SVP, manager, engineer, I would definitely be like, wow, that's a pretty successful person. That's a pretty successful career. However, and I mean, I don't mean to say however, as if uh, there's a caveat to all that success, there isn't, but I can relate to how you might have been feeling because I had jobs at some of the most well-known broadcast companies in like the world and was a manager myself for about three or four years, and I took a buyout package, continued on at some really good companies, but I just didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was reaching my own full potential, and that's when I started this journey to where I'm at today, doing a podcast, and, you know, just trying to build off of that, build off of the skills that I have gained throughout my career and my life. And I, I think a lot of people would visit my profile on LinkedIn and be like, wow, you know, they've worked for some amazing companies. This is a really successful person. But I too kind of felt the same way about the corporate zoo and all that. So that, that really spoke to me and what you just said really spoke to me and it's amazing how how it looks from the outside but when you're in it and you're living it you know even though you know what you have is good it can still leave you feeling like there there should be more yeah that's a great point 
lot of people have definitions of success. And when we always look at other people, we always say, wow, look at how successful they are. Wow. And, and sometimes we let those negative thoughts come back to us and say, well, I wish I was successful as that person. And, and I have those even today. And what you don't realize is that we are all sitting here working with our own issues, our own lack of fulfillment, or maybe uh, the lack of contentment, as it were. Uh, but you have to define your own success. And that's a really hard uh, thing to put around your head and, and because it, it was difficult for me. And I don't even know if I have it all figured out completely right now, but I will tell you, I'm a lot happier 14 years later after leaving the corporate zoo than I was when I was in it. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I at this point would not necessarily pass down, like going back into that corporate zoo. It would have to be like the right, situation the right job which i don't have near enough time to go into because this is all about you after all but i will say that in the time that i've been just a contractor and now i've been working from home for a year like this is great the flexibility and the opportunity to work on projects like this i mean if i had a commute if I had scheduled cup hold, maybe I wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now. And maybe maybe our schedules would conflict too much and it just wouldn't work out. And that's I'm sure I'm a flexible person, I would make it work. But <laughs> but it's just an example of like how much different it is when you have that type of uh structure for lack of a better word at the moment, as opposed to like the corporate structure, which is just completely different. And we could probably go on and on about all of that, but. Uh, yeah, you said that you might be able to go back to the zoo. Uh, I would say at this point, after 14 years of being where I have been and what I've done, I don't think they would have me back. Uh, the way I think today, it's very entrepreneurial, very avant-garde. Uh, I, I don't fit in a box anymore. So I. Yeah, I, I tell people who are thinking about making that leap to entrepreneurship, you know, there's a whole set of issues that you and problems that, that you will face as an entrepreneur. And it's a very tough journey. Trust me. I, I jumped out and went into the wild and I was rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, scraping my knees, hitting logs, falling into pits. I was doing everything. But uh, I don't think I would be able to go back. Um, I think, and I told people, I said, if that helps you, uh, kind of gives you that that aspirin that gives you a little bit of a numbing effect to make the jump, then you use that. But the fact of the matter is after you get into it and you can do uh, become a successful either solopreneur or entrepreneur that it's going to be hard to go back into that world. You're just not going to be able to fit well with what they're doing unless you find the right small business. And, and that's not, I'm, I'm talking about larger businesses now and fitting in there. They just won't like to have what we like to say is the alien in the room. You're just going to be a lot different than everybody else. Wow. You are really great with words. Like you're, you're just terrific. Every, everything that you say and describe have so much color to it. I love it. Um, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I will say the only reason that I think that I could go back into the corporate zoo at all is just because of the field I'm in, which is a little more of a free flowing, like creative kind of, uh, situation i think most jobs it, i i don't think i could do it because i was a contractor 
at some really good places between my last like regular full-time job and today. And anytime anybody I worked with had to do something that was like very HR oriented and corporate, like they had to take a certain class or had to do a certain thing that revolved around the, the company that I think many of us would consider a bunch of garbage. I, I would just be like, thank you. I, I'm really thankful I don't have to be responsible for any of that. And I think that was one of the things that clued me in that I think I'm going in the direction I should be going in, but I would never close the door on it because, you know, you, you can, you know, I, I guess what would be the right way to put it? You would know the right way to put it because you put everything so well. But I think uh, what I'm trying to say is you, I, I guess I'm grateful for any opportunity to knock on my door is probably a good way to put it, but it, it would be hard for me as well. I can definitely relate to that. And I rambled just enough to get my point across there. So I will carry on and Usually, I start out this show by going all the way back. Like, you seemed like you, somewhere along the line, developed a passion for engineering. And I would be interested to know if that's a passion that you had growing up. Did you see yourself doing something else? How did you wind up going in that direction? So my father was a civil engineer, so I rebelled, became a mechanical engineer. So there you go. I'm a rebel without a clue. I only went a little bit away. Growing up in Michigan, uh, obviously the car companies there dominate the industry and the landscape. And that's what I knew. And I worked in a manufacturing shop in high school as a machinist. Well, actually, I was a grunt and then worked my way up and then went off to college uh, to become a mechanical engineer. I've always liked the uh, idea of solving problems. Um, but the, the thing that was the, I didn't have a lot of opportunities presented to me. You mentioned that. And I think you said it well. And that's sometimes you can't ignore opportunities. If they come knocking at the door, open it up and see what's going on. At the time, I just didn't see any, uh, too many other paths at the time. But I really do enjoy, uh, enjoy solving problems. And I think that's what we do as entrepreneurs every single day. You wake up in the morning, you go, okay, I'm going to solve some problems today. And that's what we do. And that's what engineering really is the heart of it is uh, you're really learning to solve problems in a linear and logical way. And that's the way I learned was a linear and logical thinker. And I solved problems that way. And I, I, you know, I didn't uh, hang out with many English majors. I didn't hang out with uh, any uh, graphic design artists. I didn't hang out with performers or artists. I basically was surrounded by other engineers who thought like me. Uh, and then I had the eye-opening experience later on, not to jump too far ahead, when I went to work in consulting and I started working with people who thought differently than me. But I started to see that they can solve problems in a different fashion than I can, is that a team can solve a problem working together better than you can on your own. And that's been a big lesson that I've learned over the course of my life. Well, first of all, I think you should have hung out with some of those English people and creative people, they probably could have learned something from you. And secondly, curious, you talk about problem solving. 
I can see you being one of those people that would be like really good at all those like aptitude tests where they ask all those weird questions that you gotta really think and problem solve. Were you really good at those tests? You know, I, I was good when I was younger. What's interesting uh, is that I could sit in a room and work on those problems and solve through the engineering. And then eventually my first engineering job, I could sit at my, my desk and do drawings and work on solving those problems. I could stay really focused on a task. But now I think I have entrepreneurial ADD. Uh, and a quick aside on that, I brought that up to somebody who worked with me at the bank 15 years ago. And they said, oh, no, sweetie, you had ADD then too, buddy. You were all over the board. I'm like, okay. So um, now I, I do not sit there and if I have to sit there and solve a problem for two or three hours by myself, uh, I actually go a little stir crazy. Um, that's why I, I do have and I have surrounded myself with a team that can help me solve problems that go out there and solve the problems for me after we've talked and they, they've learned and we've worked together. Well, just for the record, I was always the kid who, if I had a question that was pretty intricate, I would have to like reread it like 10 times and break it down. I would not be like, oh yeah, that makes sense and fill in the right answer. Like, yeah, there's no way. And I, I definitely was not destined to go in engineering direction by any stretch. But uh, yeah, I so you majored in engineering, you started out doing that as, as a career and then somehow you wound up becoming a manager and even got into risk management like how did how did that happen so it happened because i worked in manufacturing and, and i realized and i had prided myself on the fact that i'd only taken two business classes in six years of schooling as i got my master's in mechanical engineering i still refused to take any business classes and my very first boss coming out of school was a business major at an MBA and his boss had an MBA and the guy who ran the facility I was in had an MBA. And I started to realize I knew nothing about business and they knew everything about it, or at least it seemed again from outward looking in, they obviously knew a lot more than me. So I listened to them and learned a lot about business, but I needed to go out there and stretch my wings and learn even more. So I went to work for a company at the time called Anderson Consulting, which is now called Accenture doing process uh, consulting. And I got to work in banks. My very first job there was to help implement call centers for what is now Bank of America. As I stayed with them, I started to develop an expertise in commercial lending and commercial loan processes, uh, and eventually in the risk management area. And I it just grew into that. And I was interested in that. And it also played to the fact that um, in credit risk and in commercial loans, it's a very linear logical thought process you have to go through to figure out how to solve the problem of getting somebody some funds to allow them to creatively grow their business or do whatever they need to do for their business. So that's how I got to that point. Um, and so that was a, a pretty fun journey. I have definitely bounced around. Everybody thinks it's, again, very linear. You go from point A to point B to point C to point D. And I have gone from point A to Y to L to Z to X to over back to M. And, and here I am back probably at E. <laughs> well, this is why, and I always say this as an absolute, I probably shouldn't say this is the exact reason why I do this podcast, but it's one of many reasons why I like doing it because you never know, like, I guess everybody's 
path is so different and so interesting, to, at least to me. And I think that's why I have such a passion for it. I, I know what I'm passionate about and I know how I kind of found my way through life. And I know that I had trial and error with a lot of different jobs. I mean, I've worked in construction. I worked in woodworking. I did plumbing. I even tried working in a bank, which was a terrible experience. I was totally not qualified to be a bank teller. And I mean, I, I tried a lot of different things and eventually went with the the path that I was pretty passionate about all along. And I just love kind of hearing about all this. So for me to see you go from engineering to risk management to entrepreneurship, I couldn't be more fascinated by your journey. So what's interesting, you said you were a bank teller. I had a chance to go to a seminar years ago where, um, the head of First Union at the time, I uh, would talk to people and, and, and put on a seminar talking about young people coming up. And he said the best job any young person could have is being a bank teller. You have to show up. You have to smile. You're dealing with people's most personal asset, their money that they have earned. And at the end of each day, you had to reconcile and make sure that your till uh, equaled out. So you had to be accountable to yourself. And as he said that, I was like, wow. He makes bank tellers sound like a great job, but as you know, it's a, it's tough. It's a tough job, but you, you know, kudos to you. You did it and you obviously built up some skills doing it because <laughs> it, it had to help. It, it just has to help, right? You, you were building up that toolbox to find out what you were best fit for, but you took some of those skills with you, I'm sure. I, boy, you're giving me entirely too much credit. I appreciate that. I, so my... <laughs> My experience as a bank teller. So I signed up to do a part-time gig with a bank that will remain nameless. And I started off just kind of learning the ropes for a week or two. They sent me an hour away to like their corporate office to uh, train up more and become more uh, synced up with their processes and how to be a teller. The problem is I'm absolutely terrible at math. I am not a mathematician by any stretch. And I found myself falling further and further behind my classmates who most of them were just making it look real easy. And like, somehow I, I am just not holding up here. And then the kicker was they were like, all right, we're going to show you guys a video. And the video was of like a robbery, not like a real robbery. It was simulated, but they made it feel very real. And they're showing like the money with all the, the red paint coming out of it. And it was just very, it was simulated very well because they scared the heck out of me. And not that it didn't occur to me that something like that could happen. But watching that video, I was like, holy smokes. I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah, so, right. So between me 
uh, seeing that like my my weak math skills weren't really enough, and then watching that video, I was like, you know what? I am not doing this. So I appreciate. I'm very flattered that you think I build up a lot of skills. I actually the only skill that I build up really was, I guess, running away. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got no one to run. No one to fold. But yeah, I do agree with you. If you become a bank teller and you're actually good at it, not unlike me, um, it, it's a great little job and career path. And certainly for a young person to do. And yeah, I unfortunately, I, I saw the same thing back then, but unfortunately, I mean, it'll, I'll, I'll go off in a completely different direction talking about why my math skills are so bad. So let's go back to what we're here for, which is your career path. And so you're doing all this stuff. You're working in what you uh, phrase as the corporate zoo. And then I take it there was a crossroads. There was a moment where you decided that, hey, I, I don't know if I want to be in the corporate zoo anymore. And I, you know, as you put it, like you're, you're wanting more out of your life. And I would like to know if you can even remember how that went down, like the crossroads and how you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Yeah, so I've, uh, it's, a, it's a great question, and I do remember it vividly. Um, I, I say this uh, to many people, never run away from something, run to something, especially when it comes to your career. Always run to something. Um, now, what do we usually mostly run from? We run from pain. Um, and I just recently uh, had a study uh, presented to me, and they said the number one reason people leave uh, a company is because of their boss. And the second reason is the culture. And it goes down from there. And um, I had that boss hole. Uh, he showed up and he made life tough and he managed differently. And um, I still felt like I was, uh, I could be successful working with him, but I also realized that I did not want to have to put up with this anymore. I, I think it's now time. So I had that as Tony Robbins put that that gut wrench, that gut turn where you said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to go figure it out. And I went home and I remember vividly walking into my wife's office uh, at the time in my house, threw my tie down, threw my jacket down and said, that's it. I'm out of here. And she said, whoa, 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 there, Sparky. If you want to do this, you better have a plan. So the time that I had the moment where I said I was going to go to the time I left and actually started the business was about a year and a half. So I did take my time and do some planning and do um, what I felt was some pretty thoughtful planning and business planning around it. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, my job started at the, at the bank, started to get even better. And uh, I was starting to enjoy it. I, was, I built a great team and I really enjoyed the team environment. And so it wasn't that I hated my job, but I hated the thought of still being in that job. And I wanted to run to being an entrepreneur to really see if I had what it took to be the man, to be the man who could take care of everybody and do it all and build it and, and use more than just 5% of his brain and see if he could do it. So I was really running to it, but, but the impetus really was, uh, I was just, I had had, it had been a long week. It had been a long uh, month. It had been a long day. I, I 
that was it. it was my flipping moment and i i flipped and i never looked i didn't say i wouldn't say i didn't look back um i don't have necessarily any regrets from leaving i did leave right as the recession started and i started a home repair business and the real estate market first cratered uh i was able to grow through it however it was a lot harder than it sounds uh, it was tough, so I didn't have the best timing in the world. But yeah, I remember it vividly. I remember, I remember throwing the tie, I remember throwing the uh, suit. I remember, uh, you know, all the work that I would do after hours now to start to figure out what a business looked like uh, and how I was going to really start something. And I, this was not my first idea. I evaluated a number of ideas. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a good time, but it was also uh, stressful. Uh, one of the things I think that we did really well as a family is they the family rallied behind me. They, even my kids said, dad, you're miserable. And here I thought I had been putting on a happy face and we had just come off a great vacation. And I, I was, I was just miserable SLB to be with. <laughs> oh boy. Well, you're certainly not miserable today. So <laughs> I appreciate no. that. I, you know, boss and work culture. I think that's, that, that really sums it up. I think for a lot of people and I know for me, as I reflect on my own career, I can definitely say that it was either the culture or a boss. It was never the work for me. I always enjoyed the work that I have done and continue to do because I'm still, even though I work for like a startup nowadays, it's still, you know, certainly not my company. I'm still working for somebody. And I mean, I now in in this case it's like I think the culture is good and I think those that are above me are good and I like the work but I I've always had that struggle I think you narrowed that down so well to culture boss and yeah it, it's I I it might depend on who you talk to but I would say at least over 50% would probably not say that it was the work. I think we tend to gravitate towards something that we want to do or want to be around. And yeah, I, I can totally relate to the fact that the culture, especially that can really make or break the kind of team that you have. So yeah. And again, it's really amazing your story, just recognizing that, look, I need something a little bit more. And kudos to you for sticking it out and not, I know some people claim at least that they'll quit and just everything will just happen and they'll make their money. And that's not really necessarily, not only the smartest thing to do, but I don't think it's necessarily the way it works a lot of the time because I think even if I took that approach, I I would probably be out in the street somewhere. I don't think I'd be making near enough to support myself. I don't know, in hindsight, if you feel like you could have done that or if you feel like you definitely took the right approach. So I was more afraid, again, running away from things. We run away from pain. I was more afraid of being done with my career and never saying I took a shot than I was of failing in my entrepreneurship. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm at, I'm at it 14 years now and I would say now it feels successful now, but 
as any entrepreneur uh, that really is being honest with you will tell you, there are at least two different times I probably should have shut my business down. Um, I, I was tight funds. I really wasn't making the money I wanted to make. I wasn't really producing what I had hoped it would for me and my family. Uh, and it was tough. And so I was more afraid of not saying at least I took a shot. And even if I failed, which is, it's hard to say that, but some of my best, some of the best people I've talked to are really quote unquote failed entrepreneurs. Now they're still entrepreneurs. They're still doing, but they did something else. Uh, and, and that's a great thing to say. So I, I was, I, that's really what was driving me was I was going to run to this. I was going to give this a shot. Well, I, I totally agree with you on that because I know that starting up my own show and doing a podcast and making my own content, there came a point where it was just really nagging at me. Like, I, I guess I really listened to that voice in my head and in my gut that if it just keeps popping up and popping up in my mind, I know I have to do it. And this applies to like pretty much anything in life. Like I'll tell you a few years ago, I was, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about, and this is a silly example, but I couldn't stop thinking about buying a PlayStation 4, even though I had an Xbox One. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna spend the $300 and I'm just gonna buy it. And you know what? No regrets, because I, I think I wanted to play MLB The Show. They didn't have MLB The Show on Xbox at the time, and that's totally getting off on another path with that. But that's kind of how I felt about this show and putting out content and taking a leap of faith to create this thing, mark my words, was, look, I don't want to look back when I'm 60 or 70 or 80 and say, you know, that was the time, that was the moment when I was really thinking about it all the time to take my shot and do it because I already look back to the 90s when I was late teens, early 20s and I'm just like, man, I, I wish that I would have done a little bit more to put myself out there to talk about my own path and my own life and that's part of my motivation for doing all this and that's a good like probably 15 20 years that I lost by not really sinking in and uh, trying to pursue that more so I totally agree with you that if you want to do it do it and don't run from it go for it yeah that's yeah, it's great. And you're right. Doing what you do, obviously, it satisfies it satisfies more of your passion, your ego and your id by doing something like this. And it allows you to do the contracting. And you obviously you probably even have more confidence in other parts and aspects of your life. And you're you're actually feeling more fulfilled. And from that contentment, fulfillment, and then excitement, you're actually more confident in, in many aspects. And it makes it more fun to go um, knock the crap out of the ball in the uh, Xbox uh, or the PlayStation for MLB show. <laughs> it does. It feels good. And now they have it on the Xbox. So I, I wouldn't have waited four or five years for that anyway. I had to have it in that moment. So, hey, no regrets either way. Um, so 
you had a couple of times where you felt like giving up. You had a great recession going on. What exactly was the thing or things that kept you going and kept you from giving up on your dream? One of the things that really kept me going was I, I determined, I, I found out a, a lot about myself there is that I'm very optimistic. I, w- I would have said, especially as an engineer growing up, we're supposed to be realists and pessimists and we're always looking for the problem and solving the problem and we're re- keeping it real. But I found there that my tenacity, my stick to my my pursuit for optimism uh, was what really kept me going. I just kept saying, if I can just get through today and get through to Monday, then I know Monday is going to turn around and we'll get there. And, and, and it, uh, it's sometimes blind optimism. Um, I don't know if it was warranted optimism. I will tell you, it put a big strain on uh, my home life because I just wasn't making the money. Uh, and uh, it, it was stressing uh, people out, uh, especially my wife. And it was, um, it was tough. But I think that blind optimism, uh, I would say it wasn't so blind. Uh, it was just maybe one eye closed <laughs> with one eye squinting. But I, the optimism kept me going and, and that stick to itness and going to solve those problems. And I said, I just wasn't willing to give up. And I mean, I can totally relate to, so mark my words, has pretty much been my focus through my whole journey of entrepreneurship. But I have had some times where either I had a bad day or something didn't work out with somebody I wanted on the show or whatever the case was. And I had my times where I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if it would be better if I did something else or, you know, just went solo on podcasting or making content, which is something I still want to do. But I get so much fulfillment from guests that I have on this show. Then when everything works out, it's amazing. And for me to give up on that, I know I've had a couple of times, especially during the height of the pandemic and all that stuff going on and how that was weighing me down. And I really had to kind of like dig deep and ask myself a lot of, questions and that persistence and I think you hit something that at least I feel I have the quality of optimism like sometimes I tell my wife I'm pretty optimistic overall she doesn't necessarily agree with that but uh I I definitely feel like I'm a bit more of an optimist and I can definitely relate to your perspective in that I think through it all, getting through, because I have had some rough patches, just kind of working my way through it and seeing some of the positives has really helped me to stay on track with this show. Yeah, well done. I, I agree. So you have to have that, the stick to itness and the optimism to stick with it. Um, and what's hard too, and if we talk about this uh, on my own podcast, the Small Business Safari, I've talked with some other entrepreneurs, is that sometimes when you're faced with that, we're optimistic to a fault sometimes, and perhaps businesses are in business for one year too long, or that they would have just shut it down a year earlier, uh, it would have been 
okay. And they would have been all right personally, but you, you just don't want to let it go. And people say, well, that's because it's your baby. It is. Yeah. But it's more than that. It, it's the, the fact that, you know, it's hard to admit failure. Uh, let's admit that nobody likes doing it. Nobody wants to say I was a failure. Um, that was not the driving part. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to close it down because yeah, I, I didn't want to be doomed, uh, deemed as a failure, but I was going to figure it out. My optimism was, I know this is a good idea. I know the trusted toolbox, the handyman and remodeling service that we provide and the way we do it, I know will work. Um, I just needed to tweak things and run the business a little bit differently than I was and a little bit more profitably. That was the big part. So why did you decide to take this path of entrepreneurship with the trusted toolbox and home repair, home remodeling? What, What inspired you to do that? as opposed to risk management. <laughs> right. So the thing that I look back on, I did, I did a lot of assess, uh, assessments, self-assessments, thinking about what I wanted to do. There's a couple things. One, I wanted to be a problem solver. Two, um, I wanted to be in a business that could not get outsourced. Um, I wanted to be in a business that could be um, always deemed as a necessary uh, need. And when I looked at the markets, um, I didn't have the next best idea. I wasn't an idea generator. I wasn't the next Elon Musk. I wasn't the next uh, Thomas Edison. I wasn't going to invent something. It just wasn't where I was at creatively. So I knew I wanted to do that. And, but I started looking around other mentors that I had and they were not a very sexy businesses. You know, they're making widgets. They were making the blister packs that go over pens. They were making Jeep parts. They were making the awnings that you see on strip malls. They were making plumbing parts where, um, waste flows through. These just weren't really sexy businesses. They just did them really well and they were able to execute them. And I was like, that's the kind of world I want to be in. Last thing, and to get to the point, why this one? I realized that all my vacations and a lot of my free time when I was a kid and growing up was working on houses. I had worked on a number of houses as a kid. I went on vacations. I built ramps. I built in-law suites. I actually rough plumbed uh, my uncle's home. I, I did a lot of different things. Uh, and I realized that I, I really liked homes uh, and I liked what I liked being involved in them. And so this is really my passion. When I talk about houses, when I talk about bathrooms, I'll sit there. We'll, we'll talk about them for hours because uh, I enjoy it so much. Now at the position I'm at in my company, I get to talk about it, but not as much as I used to, because now I've built the business up where I've, I do a lot of training. I'm really in the training business now. Uh, and I enjoy that part. I enjoy talking about it. But yeah, that's how I got into this business. So do you help with like just building the house from the ground up? Do you come in and help with houses that are already built or do you do both? We only work on houses already built. So I have 15 handymen here in the metro Atlanta area at the trust toolbox that go out there and do the punch list around the house, drywall repair, fixing doors, uh, fixing trim on the outside of the house, maybe working on some decks. Uh, and I also have five project managers where we focus on bathrooms and kitchen for remodeling. Um, so that's, that's what we do. We don't do much. We don't do any new construction at all. Uh, but that's where I see the need. And that's where it definitely is uh, playing itself out. More and more people just don't have the time, skills, and a lot of times the tools to do the work that they need to do in the house. They'd rather pay somebody else to do it. So we put a professional spin. Our unique 
thing is that we prioritize professionalism above all else. Our guys will show up uniformed and do things a little bit differently. And that's the way I've been able to take a, a, a non-sexy business and put some polish around it, put some of my professional background and my corporate America knowledges that I built up and brought them to our company. And that's how we've been able to establish ourselves uh, as, a, as the leading handyman company here in Atlanta. Well, how do you think your time in corporate America has helped you with your business? What are some skills you developed that have translated really well to what you're doing now? So to stick with the toolbox thing, since the name of my company is the Trusted Toolbox, I always viewed myself in the corporate world of developing my toolbox. I open up a toolbox, I put a skill in there. My skills were, as I mentioned before, problem solving. I also was leadership. I started to develop my leadership skills by reading things about Drucker and Covey and and, and the the Collins book. Uh, All of these guys, I was a voracious reader, still am reading all these books uh, to help me develop my leadership skills. Uh, And then you start figuring out how to work with teams. One of the big differences between corporate America and the world I am today with the blue collar world you know, I've had people tell me, oh, I hate the term blue collar. And I'm like, you know what? I love it. Even though today I'm wearing a white shirt, um, we're a red company. Um, we're still um, doing things as artists that other people can't do. The big thing, the difference is with the guys I have today is they're very transparent and they're easy to read. When they come in and they tell you they need more money, there's no ulterior motive. They need more money. They didn't beat around the bush. So I say to these guys that using a computer term is their WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And in corporate America, that wasn't always the case. If somebody wanted more money, it would be a different conversation. There would be an ulterior motive and there would be an agenda that you'd have to try to figure out what's going on. And you're not really working together. You're working uh, co-opetition, sometimes cooperating and sometimes competing, but you didn't know. And with my guys out there working in customers' houses every day, we don't have time for that stuff to happen in our company. Yeah, that is opening up a can of worms when you talk about corporate America and ulterior motives. But we could probably do a whole episode on that, I guess. And I'm, I'm not going to get into that because I, I have too much of a history in corporate America. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. But there was something else that I wanted to say there that uh, you were talking about that was really interesting. Maybe it'll come back to me. How about I ask you about the evolution of the Home Institute and how that got started? So I've started the Home Service Institute last year, and uh, admittedly, it's not going as well as I'd want just yet, but I have that optimism. I'm going to get it out there. What it is really built for is home service companies who need to have that customer experience training program put in place so that they can deliver a better service and a better quality service and keep more customers and ultimately raise their profitability. I realized here at the Trusted Toolbox, I, be, I was in the training business. And with my blue collar workers and service providers, we can train them and we bring them in every other Wednesday. And, and uh, we bring them in, and they, uh, they talk. And what we do is we talk about customer service and then we'll talk about something operational process wise, but we'll always do something technical to get back to them. And we know what that that three-part mixture, our guys have the fuel to go out there and be the artists they can and actually provide better for their families. And so when you talk about your guys going out there, it rejogged my memory about being blue collar 
Would you agree that being an entrepreneur, whether you're making six, seven figures or maybe even like one figure, you know, would you say that being an entrepreneur is kind of a blue collar profession? Because I feel that way. You know, you actually, that's a great point. I never thought about it like that. Um, as a solopreneur, you are the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. You get to wear the your mad scientist hat and be an entrepreneur. But to make it happen and make it really work and get that wheels moving as a solopreneur and counting on yourself, you have to do the work. You're the technician. So in, in a lot of respects, you're right. You're the one doing it. I don't care if you're working on a keyboard and uh, developing programs. As a solopreneur, you truly are in the trenches doing it. Um, the question I've got for many of the solopreneurs is can they manage themselves? <laughs> Good question. And I know for me, boy, when you put it that way, I'm like, well, I have probably a little too laid back of a culture because really as much as this year has been really crazy and busy at this moment, as I hit my microphone, that will sound great later. I have really been just, because of being so exhausted from everything and then trying to enjoy living in Florida, like it's amazing living here. So I've been kind of like uh, slow getting the new season going. And it's like, okay, there has to come a point where I got to stop being laid back here. We're almost into like July. And I know there's a lot of people relying on me to get episodes out. So being your own manager sometimes, and I say all this stuff that's really kind of open to uh, my own process, I say all that because you do have to keep yourself in check and have those conversations when you're running your own, you know, business or show or whatever it is that you're doing. Because I know for me, I've had the have that conversation like, okay, I created some new stuff for a new season. I've got all these episodes. I got people relying on me. I got to buckle down and kind of put some of the Florida life to the side a little bit and get that going. And that's just an example of what I feel it takes as far as managing yourself. Because if you don't have conversations like that with yourself, then like it, it just goes completely off the rails. And that's, I'm revealing a lot about myself and my own process by telling everybody that, but that's what it's like. I agree. Yep. You've got to be able to manage yourself. That's why you asked the question uh, as a solopreneur, you, you're, you really are, you're a blue collar worker. I'm going to actually steal that, probably use that in other places to talk about it, even in my own podcast, because you got to be able to manage yourself and, and sometimes you have to get in there and you have to dig in the trenches and make everything happen. But you got to take the time at least uh, on a periodic basis, whether that's daily or weekly and be that manager, managing of yourself and of your business. And then of course you get to take those times every once in a while and be that mad scientist and entrepreneur about, Hey, where am I going to go? What's the next biggest thing I can do? Yeah. And it's not only that part, but it's also if you're looking to, expand and grow are you going to use social media how are you going to use social media how are you going to market yourself 
Are you going to hire somebody to help you with skills that you might be a little bit weak on, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's all these things that go into being a solopreneur that you don't necessarily learn until you're actually doing it. And I know these are a lot of conversations I've had with myself and have at this point decided to take a lot of that on myself. But it's like, when do you kind of let go a little bit? When do you consider yourself more of an entrepreneur than a solopreneur? There's so much that goes into this side of life that it, it doesn't all just magically happen. Let's use the idea of being a content creator or podcaster. You don't just hit record on a couple episodes and magically have like millions of people listening to what you have to say. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And I'm sure you can certainly vouch for that on your end. I can't imagine how much work really goes into what you're doing to improve other people's lives, to have a staff. It's a lot. Uh-oh, I think, Chris, you accidentally hit mute. I did hit mute, and uh, boy, I was seeing some really amazing things. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't want everybody to hear me coughing, <clears throat> so I'm back. Um, awesome. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, getting the business up and running, uh, in my business, it takes people uh, to run the Trusted Toolbox, and it's a people-scaling business. You can be more efficient, but until they make robots who can work on houses, um, I won't be able to do anything except grow with people. Um, and I actually, you know, with, with my podcast, I, I done it to try to get back to the entrepreneurial world and talk about the small business safari and my jump. And, uh, but it's been interesting as well, because I thought it would really grow, right? Like you say, you put it out there and boom, you're just going to all of a sudden get a million downloads and people listen to you. And boy, it sure doesn't work like that. You've got to continually stay at it and get your name out there and, and get your voice out there. And I'm starting to pick up a little traction, but you're right. I'm not, uh, it's been good for me. In fact, somebody asked, why do you do it? Are you making any money off it? I said, well, frankly, I'm not making uh, dollar for dollar out of it, but I have picked up a couple home service Institute clients uh, from this. I have also picked up some jobs through the trusted toolbox uh, through it. So, and I've sold a few of my books this way. So yeah, I guess it's working a little bit. Um, is it worth it right now? I tell you, here's the intangible benefit. I've had some incredible people come on my podcast and shared some things with me that actually changed some things I do in my own business. I'm like, so there, there you go. I got free consulting. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, one of the many reasons I love doing this show is to have amazing conversations like this and meet people like you and if you don't like if you're wanting to do a podcast and you're wanting to just you know try it I would say just go do it just for the fact that you're gonna have some really amazing conversations and meet some really amazing people don't even worry about making money right away I mean I guess you can if you want to, and there are ways to do that. I shouldn't completely discourage that, but right. um, 
if you kind of just have the perspective of, I just want to meet really great people, have really fulfilling conversations, this is definitely something to do just to get that uh, fulfillment. And yeah, I, it's definitely one of the many reasons that I like doing it. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a great thing to do, and it's been great. I'm going to stick with it as well, and I enjoy coming on other people's podcasts like this and, and getting a chance to go out there and spread the word and have good conversation. Well, Chris Lalamia, I have really enjoyed our conversation, but I'm afraid we're coming up on the end of our time here. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to, again, just talk about your businesses, how people can find you, how they can work with you, perhaps even how they can be on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. So my name is Chris Lalamia. I'm on LinkedIn as Chris, that's L-A-L-O-M-I-A, Chris Lalamia. But on Instagram, TikTok, I am customerservice.freak. And I have a lot of fun with that. So go out there and follow that. I have a lot of fun showing off not only what we do with the Home Service Institute, but the Trusted Toolbox. Uh, you can always hit me up and take a look at the small business safari. That's the safaripodcast.com. Also, I've got my book out there from the zoo to the wild. I've given you guys a lot of information, but go check me out. Chris Lalamia, LinkedIn, social media. And if you want to talk for 30 minutes, I'll talk with anybody for 30 minutes. Awesome. Well, again, Chris Lalamia, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on Mark My Words. And Chris is an entrepreneur, he's a podcaster, he is very smart and articulate and great with words, and he was a great guest today. So thank you very much for being on my show, and I know that there will be nothing but great things to come for you just with your persistence and your optimism and your great ideas, and especially with your uh, wordplay and wordsmith abilities, I have no doubt that uh, you will continue to do great things, and I guess that is it for this episode. So thanks again to Chris for being on Mark My Words. I'm Mark Schmidt, and I will see you soon, and I'll be back with a new episode. Bye for now. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Mark My Words. If you would like to connect with me beyond the show, you can find me on LinkedIn at Mark Schmidt, where I will be talking about entrepreneurship, careers, and anything else that is on my mind. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Nimrod1979 and Nimrod Sending I respectively. This podcast also has a page on Instagram at Mark My Words. And finally, if you want to leave me a voicemail or check out what I'm up to with the podcast, come find me at podpage.com slash mark dash my dash words. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye for now.